Welcome, welcome, welcome again to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho Podcast. I am one of the hosts. I'm Dr. Cole. I'm joined here by my other co-hosts. Hey, guys. Dr. J. Fitz back with you guys. You know, all the, sometimes it's also referred to as my little brother. But, you know, right now, you know, we're doing the carpet <laughs> co-host thing. <laughs> and uh, we, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we, uh, we, have a, we have a pretty good episode for you all today. Um, you know, we're kind of going back and forth. We kind of have a sports topic for you all today. Um, I'm actually going to let Dr. Fitz let you all know a little bit more about our guest for today. Absolutely, man. And just to add in, I have to let him do that because I'm really like the the sparkle in this guy's life. So, you know, <laughs> I just got to let him make those little jokes and make him feel good. No big deal. But this is another guest, guys. I'm really happy to introduce this gentleman as well. I think uh, this might have been the second time I read I read uh, I wrote a paper while I was in medical school. This doctor this this gentleman he gave me the opportunity to to be on the paper with him so i really appreciate it his name is dr akora uh he did his residency at the henry ford hospital in michigan and his fellowship at rush university uh in sports medicine and he came in talking about something that's you know uh you know i hear different things about it in in the sports field and the hip field and things like that hip labor repairs uh you know some people do it, some people don't, but I think he did a great discussion on it, just kind of giving us an overall view of things. So uh, with no further ado, I think we're just going to jump right into this, and I hope you guys enjoy. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring Drs. Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. KC, thank you so much for uh, for coming on the show welcome to the show first of all welcome to the nailed it ortho podcast you know um i want to call you dr casey i know you told me to call you kc as your as your nickname so i'll say dr casey for now man but uh well, no problem man happy to be here yeah we're uh, we're happy to have you um we're happy to to speak with you and uh talk on a topic today we're talk about some hip labral tears um interested in the subject i don't know too too much about it but you know I, I think this will be a good talk to get people tuned into the fact there are you know hip labral tears and you know kind of how to manage and go about uh managing these patients so you know yeah. thanks again for coming on no problem so you know we typically like to start out with just a couple of questions getting to know you and um you know we'll start with the the age-old question that we all get asked in our interviews sometimes uh so what what made you choose the field of orthopedics uh, surgery? I guess in particular, what made you want to go in, into sports? Uh, I mean, so it's a, it's a couple fold. Um, I mean, naturally, I, I played basketball my whole life. You know, growing up, you know, I only thought I thought I was going to play in the NBA. You know, so basketball has been my whole life. Um, so first in med school when we we're, when we're kind of I think it was like in the first year second year we started dissecting cadavers and then I really realized that you know I wanted to be a surgeon and then um, kind of choosing in between the fields um, I was interested in neurosurgery and uh, orthopedics I kind of stumbled into orthopedics and then I found out you know you can manage athletes and you know athletic surgery so and then I kind of just blended right in with what I wanted to do so Orthopedic medicine, sports medicine, is the field I chose. Okay, and 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 on that same topic, you know, because I happen to know, like you said, that you played basketball in the past. 
do you see, I guess, is there any any lessons that you learned during your time playing basketball that uh, that you see still is helpful now for you and your practice? Uh, I think the main thing that I, you know, take from basketball is the work ethic, you know, work ethic and commitment. Um, when I played basketball, I was always a gym rat. I'm always, you know, first in the gym, last in the gym, Saturdays, you know, 24 hours a day, uh, if I could be. So I think with being a surgeon, it's about learning. You got to know the anatomy. You got to know how to do the surgery, but it's also about practice. So, you know, once you, whenever you're able to get in that lab and practice on, you know, cadavers or whatever you may be able to practice with, that, that makes you a better surgeon. So I think that's what I took from uh, basketball. Absolutely. And I'm just curious, were, were you uh, a two or a three? Or you might have even been, been a four at the time. <laughs> two, three, two, three guard. <laughs> two, three guard. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little slasher, you know, a little razzle dazzle. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. And uh, continuing on that note, so, no, other, another question I have is, um, uh, this is, I guess, more of a retrospective question, but, you know, if you were to look back at it, uh, at yourself and kind of where you're at when you first started residency, or let's say when you're 25 years old, I'll say that, do you have any advice that you would give to your 25-year-old self having kind of gone through what you've gone through, you know, in the past couple of years? And 25-year-old, mm, so I was in medical school. Uh, yeah, I think I was in medical school at that time. Uh, medical school was a little different. Uh, I went to Howard in D.C., so great school, um, but it's a kind of an atmosphere where, you know, it's kind of a party atmosphere. You know, you can get you can get distracted very easily. Uh, a lot of parties, a lot of uh, women. Um, so I think I would tell my younger self to uh, focus. Yeah. Because the thing about medical school is there's you don't think about it but there's class ranks there's a lot of like things that go into that aoa scholarships and that um your rank pretty much gets set pretty early it's hard to change after that first year first year and a half so if you get behind then you got a steep hill trying to climb up especially if you want to do orthopedics because you know they put high value in your test scores your class rank and so that's probably my my biggest advice to myself was would be a anything when you first started residency that you would go back and tell yourself from residency. No, I don't think I would change much about my residency. I think my residency pr went pretty well. Um, again, you could always focus, you could always do more, but I think I, I did pretty well in residency. All right. Well, sound good. Uh, I think we can go ahead and uh, bring up, the case for the day and this one's a little bit vague but it, i feel like this may be uh how the patient would actually present i haven't seen it personally but so we're gonna give it a go and go from there so we say uh, we have a 19 year old male uh but we can say he's a basketball athlete who comes in with a seven-day history of hip pain uh and he states that he feels like a snapping sensation sometimes when he walks, and it seems like it's a little bit worse after he practice he say he can't really remember a specific uh, incident when this first started, but he said he noticed it one day after uh, basketball practice. And he's coming in now with this hip pain. Uh, and I guess from here, where will we go as far as uh, I guess we can either go from if we're looking at the, the labrum 
we can go from either the H and P at this point, or we can talk about anatomy. It is kind of whichever way you would like to take it at this point. I mean, I think it's important to talk about the anatomy first because you kind of get a couple of different different things that can it can present with. So uh, the hip is obviously a, a it's a ball and socket joint uh, formed by the articulation of your femur and your acetabulum. Um, so a couple of different structures that kind of compose the hip. You have the cartilage of the hip, which is kind of the lining on the bones, and that kind of lets the bones move in that congruent, uh, smooth, free articulation. Uh, you also have the labrum, um, which is a horseshoe-shaped uh, fiber cartilage that attaches to the outside of the socket. And that essentially deepens the socket and kind of provides some stability in it. And inside the labrum, you have proprioceptive fibers and nerve fibers. And when that labrum is injured, um, those proprioceptive and nerve fibers kind of send uh, different um, signals to the brain in the form of pain to let it know that, you know, this action is causing your body harm. And then the capsule uh, forms around the uh, femur and the acetabulum. And the thickening of the capsule is called ligaments, and those are also form the structure of the hip and allow uh, the socket to move, uh, providing hip motion. So those are some of the basic structures in the hip uh, that can be responsible for pain on the intra-articular side. Um, so in this patient, you said 19-year-old basketball player, seven days of acute onset. I would ask him, how, what was he doing when the injury happened? Uh, he he just says pretty much he he's not a hundred percent sure, but he he kind of noticed it after he was he was done with basketball practice that day. And no history of any hip pain in the past. Uh, he said before then, um, he might have had some pain from time to time, but uh, it's definitely worse now. He's noticing it a whole lot more, uh, and it's yeah. getting to the point what where what kind of actions make it worse? Uh, well, he he says he no notices notices it when he's uh. Uh, when he runs, uh, when he's doing his sprints during his practice, and also uh, sometimes when he's he's doing some of his uh, stretches before uh, before and after his workouts. Right. I mean, so this the young athletic population. Uh, there's a couple of different diagnoses that differential diagnosis you can think about. Um, so a lot of patients that have high impact activities, high flexion activities, basketball players, football dancers, uh, have what we call femoral acetabular impingement. And um, that can be come with multiple components. You can have a cam deformity, which is extra bone on the, on the end of the femur. You can have a pincer deformity, which is extra bone on the acetabulum. And when those bones contact each other, that can impinge on the labrum. And then you can get a labral tear uh, you can get subluxation of the joint causing injury to the cartilage. So there's a lot of different factors that can go on to the, into that. And a person with only seven days of hip pain, um, you might try to treat that uh, conservatively at first. So, hey, you might have, you know, a hip sprain or a contusion. Let's see how you do. Maybe shut you down for a couple of days, do some therapy, and then uh, reassess them. Let's say, you know, they first come in to the office what are some of the things that we're looking at, you know, on the physical exam? Are there any tests that we want to do or, you know, things like how should we look at that? And what are like some of the physical exam findings that will clue us into, hey, this is something that may be of, you know, of hip, you know, of the pathology uh, labor, of the labrum? 
Right, right. So first thing you're gonna ask them to do is point to where the pain is at. So people with a labeled tear FAI, they, they do what's called the C sign. They, they put their hand right over their hip and say, this is where it hurts, or they point in their groin. So groin pain uh, is more specific to uh, labeled tears and uh, FAI syndrome. And then you're gonna kind of take them through a range of motion. Um, Patients with labral tears have pain in flexion, adduction, and internal rotation. That's the major um, provocative examination for a labral tear. Also, you can flex them all the way up. They might have uh, pain with terminal flexion. Um, yeah, those are the those are the big exam now, findings. Now, for the you said the pain with the flexion and adduction, and I believe internal rotation. Now, right. now, does that tell you that they have a labral tear at any specific location within uh, within that labrum, or does this just tell you kind of in general, you know, this this person might just have a labral tear? Yeah, I mean, and it might be a labral tear. It, might, it just lets you know you have some impingement in the joint. Right. It doesn't necessarily mean you have a labral tear or you just have bony impingement, but you know something's going on in that hip that's causing them to have that loss of uh, internal rotation and inflection. So, so once we get this patient, you know, they come in and they tell us this history and we do that physical exam, you know, we do that provocative uh, maneuver, which elicits, you know, pain uh, right in his groin region. Where do we go from there? You know, we'll be getting imaging or, you know, what would be the kind of the next steps in uh, evaluating this patient? Yeah. So most patients, if you show up, you know, for an orthopedic, you're going to get at least one image, you know, x-ray is something pretty safe. Doesn't cause a lot of, uh, uh, morbidity from one x-ray. So I would just get a plain x-ray uh, and see what's, what that shows. There's a couple different views you can get, what you're done, your lateral, uh, your AP, and that will show you a bony deformity if you have one or maybe a bony defect. Okay. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. So that's kind of what you're looking for in this particular uh, type of case, trying to see if there is any bony defects. Yeah, or if you see extra bone on that of the femur or the acetabulum. So if I see a huge cam deformity, which is the extra bone on the femur, or ex- uh, pincer deformity, uh, then you know that somebody has FAI. And, and, and for those listening that, that may not know, you know, uh, you know what a cam or a pincer deformity is, what, what is that? Yeah, so basically... Um, when you have that deep flexion and internal rotation, the end of your femoral head abuts on your acetabulum. And so one of the, the body's main laws is Wolf's Law. So once a stress is put on the bone, the bone reacts to that stress to try to protect itself. So if your bone keeps on impinging on your other bone, causing stress to your bone is the bone on the femur will form more bone to protect itself. But by doing that, it decreases the rotation before the femur and acetabulum abut each other. So basically you have limited motion then and your femur abuts your acetabulum even sooner and that process kind of continues. Right. So so say we get, you know, we get our films and we see that they have a cam lesion, you know, do we just stop at x-rays or do we get continued imaging? You know, say this person, we got that and, and we, we got the x-rays to show those lesions and, you know, we tried, you know, non-operative treatment, which we'll, we'll talk about in a bit, but that doesn't work and they come back and they're still having pain. You know, are you, do we proceed with further imaging or kind of how, how do we go about that? 
Yeah, so in that patient, we continue to pay a young patient. I would get the MRI because you want to look, take a look at the soft tissues. You want to see if they have any cartilage defects. You want to see if they have a labral tear because uh, those are modifiable things that you can actually treat and try to get this patient better. Okay, and along with that, because is there any any um, good use for, I guess it's called the MRA for this type of injury? Yeah, so MRA is an MR arthrogram. Uh, so that basically what that is, is you're putting fluid in the joint and that helps you accentuate, as, um, labral tears and cartilage defects because your fluid kind of gives you that contrast and wherever that goes, you know, there's an injury there. So that is actually better in identifying, um, labral tears and cartilage defects, but most of the time we can see it without, without using the contrast. Cause sometimes that can have some morbidity involved with that as well. Okay. What I what I will get a what I will get an MRA for is uh, a revision patient. Somebody's already had a couple surgeries because then it's harder to tell what's normal and abnormal uh, anatomy. So that's when I would get an MRA. Yeah, and is that your main? That, I was just gonna ask that. So that's your main indication in order to get an MRA. Is that patient, or are there any other indications where you say, hey, you know, I think an MRA may be warranted in this patient. Um, I think it also has to do with the image quality. So if, if you don't have a high Tesla MRI, maybe you're at a, you know, uh, under, um, populated hospital and they have low powered, uh, MRIs, you might want to get an MRI just to get that better detail. But most of the MRIs we have nowadays, you can identify label tear or cartilage defect with a, without contrast. And so also when we're looking at these images, uh, what, exactly are we looking for that's going to clue us in that there may be an injury to the 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 labrum yeah so the the labrum is a nice black triangle that's on the end of the acetabulum so if you have a linear line with the contrast is white on a t2 mri so if you have a linear line through that black triangle and then that that identifies a label tear okay and so say we do that, you know, we get an MRI and, you know, our, our suspicion for a, lab, a label tear in the hip is confirmed. H- how do we go about treatment? Like what's the algorithm, you know, between non-operative versus operative treatment? And then what are the non-operative treatments? And then what are the operative treatments? Right. So you want to know what, what's that patient tried? If it's a young patient, it's been going on for six months, they tried physical therapy, uh, those are the kind of patients that you lean more towards uh, surgery. And what you can do is another step to kind of identify, hey, this is specifically coming from the hip. Because a lot of things can present as hip pain. As you guys know, the nerves, you know, come from the lumbar plexus and spine, glutes, SI. Those can all be, ref- even knee can all be referred to the hip. So if you really want to identify as coming from the hip, you can do an, ig- an injection. Um, so we do a corticosteroid and Marcan injection in the hip, and it does two things. One is diagnostic. It tells us if they get better from that injection, then you know, hey, this is coming from the joint, somewhere in the joint. And then for some patients, it's therapeutic. So they might get two months relief, six months relief. Um, and in those patients, usually those are the kind of the older patients. You might be able to let them continue with non-operative management. But usually in the younger patients, if they have a label tear, they try therapy, that injection might give them some relief. But when they try to go back to that high impact activity, they'll start to have pain again. And then uh, that's when it's time to have surgery. 
Now, now, a question I have regarding physical therapy now, you know, I guess being an intern and, and writing orders for physical therapy and being specific, yeah. you know, working on range of motion versus strengthening. Now, for these patients, are they going to like what's the physical therapy order or what's the goal of it? Is it is it to increase their hip flexion strength or is it to increase their flexibility? Like what are you kind of like, what are the specific goals of this, you know, non-operative treatment of physical therapy? Yeah. So what happens is when, when you have that labral tear, you have a lot of inflammation in the joint and your motion kind of gets offset. So what you have is you have compensatory patterns. Your glutes are off. Your core is not stable. You walk differently. You don't have that hip extension because that causes pain. And that throws the rest of your body off. So what therapy specifically can do is can fix those other patterns that, you, you know, fix your neuromotor control, your core stability, your glute strength, and that might reduce the pain for that patient. Also, what physical therapy can do is teach the patient on modifiable factors. So supportive shock-absorbing shoe wear during exercise and work, low-impact exercises. Somebody might run all the time, but if you, if you have a label tear, once a week is fine, but every day that's going to cause you more pain. So you can still exercise, but low impact. So biking, swimming, elliptical, and then balance exercises and improving the low extremity proprioception is big. Once we have our patient go the, the non-operative route, they, they're trying the physical therapy and they're back and they're saying that, hey, this is, uh, this pain is not going away. Uh, what, what, I guess, what are the surgical techniques um, for this type of injury and kind of what, what is the goal? Yeah, so our basic goal for surgery would be to eliminate the pain and get the patient back to the activities they were doing previously. Um, kind of the process is called hip arthroscopy. So we do it usually through um, three small incisions the size of your fingertip. Uh, there's an anterior portal, there's a, a mid-anterior portal, and a dollar portal, which are, is more uh, distal. And these are all on the front of the hip. And then through that, we can stick a, stick a camera in the joint. We look at, do a detailed examination to find any uh, pathology. Any label tears we find, we sew it back together with sutures. Any prominent bone that we talked about, either the cam deformity, which is the excess bone on the femur, or the pincer deforming the excess bone on the acetabulum, we shave back down to normal. And then we do all this through an incision in the capsule. It's called a capsulotomy we, to open the hip. We close that down called a capsular plication at the end of the procedure. Now, how, how are the, I guess, the results of, um, of this type of procedure? You know, how, how is patient satisfaction, you know, what's the recovery like? And, and you know, I guess my, my that, that's pretty much my question. Like, what's the patient satisfaction level and, and what's the recovery time looking yeah. like for these patients? Yeah, so we have a, a lot of great uh, studies out on uh, patient satisfaction. It's actually really good after the surgery. What patients need to know before surgery, it's, the, it's a really intense uh, rehab process. Um, so it's, it's like an ACL, but it's a pretty intense uh, physical therapy process, about six months uh, to get back to doing the sports. Okay. And, and so another question I have is, cause you know, I, I know that you're, you know, one of the team doctors for the Chicago Bulls and the White Sox. Now in, right. in the high level athlete that you suspect, uh, that you suspect that they have a confirmed hip label tear. Do you, are the 
management options still the same or would you go straight to, you know, straight to scoping the hip to try to get him to return to play the quickest or, you know, does it change uh, your, the way you kind of manage that patient in the high performing athlete? You know, this is their career, uh, you know, athletic performance is, is their career. Yeah. So professional athletes are a whole nother uh, ball game because there's so many different factors that uh, influences these players contracts, you know, you know, time of the season, playoffs, when they want to return, uh, coaches. There's, there's a lot of different factors with professional athletes. Um, so I'd say the difference is most of the times you're just going to get imaging with a professional athlete. You know, they're going to get the x-ray MRI off the top, see what's going on. Um, and then surgery, I think it's the same. Uh, if, if, if you feel like the patient has a labral tear, they're young, they're probably not going to get, I mean, physical therapy, like we said, can fix those adjust modifiable factors, but they're not going to fix the late. That's not going to fix the labral tear. It's not going to fix the X6 bone. And so they're going to need surgery. Okay. And also just like when we were looking this up, it seemed like this is, um, kind of a new, um, you know, somewhat like a new diagnosis in orthopedics. Like it's something that's kind of new and people are looking like more into it at this point. At one point, it wasn't something that people kind of considered uh, for hip pain. Um, So my question is, how is, is everybody kind of on board when it comes to managing these injuries uh, operatively or, do you see that some people do it and some people say not so much or kind of what's your thoughts on that? Um, so I think the, the thing is if, if it's been around, so it's not, it didn't hit FAI and hip pain and labral tears didn't just start. It's just, we weren't treating it before. So 30, 40 years ago, nobody know, knew how to do a hip scope. Nobody knew how to fix it arthroscopically. So what you would find is, a large portion of athletes or high contact people have FAI. Some are asymptomatic, some are symptomatic. Just like if you get an MRI and and a lot of people over the age of 40, they'll have asymptomatic rotator cuff tears. But it's the patients that are symptomatic that we then need to treat because we can change their course. We can make it so that they're able to play these sports without pain. Whereas before, they might, you know, stop playing because they just have pain all the time. Okay. I was pretty curious about that just because when I was looking up the the articles, I was kind of getting, you know, seeing different things. And I can tell it was something like you say a couple of years ago or, you know, a couple of decades ago, it wasn't being, wasn't something that was being uh, managed. So uh, that's good to know. And I, overall, I learned quite a bit on this topic. I think it was uh, very helpful because uh, coming into it, I was very, very light and this, this so this gives me a, a something to work with to to kind of learn and go forth for sure all right so it's, it's all about learning you know absolutely 50 years ago you know people were just you know starting to talk about hip replacements knee replacements i think you know once we advance with medicine we find ways to you know treat these things that before we just lived with you know you got old you couldn't walk and that that's what it was in the old days but now we have ways to you know normalize what what the abnormalities with hip arthritis and labral tears and and these are all things we can use to benefit from in the future absolutely and actually before we wrap it up last last kind of question i have with this uh are there any 
complications that you you tend to have to look out for after um, we can say after surgery or sometimes even if they go the the non-operative route is there something that could uh, worsen or anything like that uh, so the normal complications uh, with surgery infections bleeding um, things like that nerve damage there are some small nerves that go around the front of the hip uh, so some patients you know you can have some numbness or even a neuroma um, but those are very small. I'd say less than 5%. All right. Absolutely. Awesome. So before we go, Dr. Casey, we always like to give our speakers a chance to uh, give all of our listeners a way to reach out to them or how to contact them if they want to. And I happen to know that you have a, a presence on Instagram. So I was going to see if you wanted to uh, give that while, you, while you're with us. Yeah, no problem. Uh, you can check me out at Dr. Okoro. Uh, O-K-O-R-O, that's on all social media platforms, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, uh, the whole nine yards. Absolutely. Well, there you go. I hope all the listeners enjoyed this talk. I know I learned a whole lot. I see Dr. Colo there. He's still writing down his notes. So, hey, we're doing good over here. <laughs> all right. So, again, Dr. Coro, I want to thank you for coming on to the show. And uh, I want to thank all the listeners. for. Absolutely. Yeah, all right. I really appreciate it. Now, thank you all for listening to that episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. We talked all about hip label tears with Dr. Okoro. I hope you all enjoyed it a lot. Um, if you did, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Subscribe to the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe to us on our platforms at nailedortho.com as well as on Instagram at nailedortho.com. Just kidding. It's just nailedortho. <laughs> all right. Until next time.